When I, uh, when I think about my own childhood, for the most part, usually in settings like this, I will uh, generally talk about what was uh, really most ideal about my childhood. It was, I had, a, I had a really wonderful childhood. If you've ever seen the movie Sandlot, like there's this gaggle of guys just go around and playing sports, and that one's specifically baseball. That very much describes my uh, suburban upbringing before Microsoft took over my hometown. It was so fun. You know, we uh, wiffle ball for three or four or five hours a day, every day during the summers. And we literally had um, a dog that was over the fence. And so we actually had this rule. If you hit the fence, home run, over the fence, it's out. And you have to get the ball. So um, it was, you know, it was a, in so many ways, it was really ideal. Of course, there are also ways where it wasn't ideal. There are ways that I can tell my story and things that happened to me that, that actually end up have, I think in some ways, have actually defined my adulthood in a certain way. Probably all of us have things about our story, things that, things that happened, ways that we were, hobbies that we had that people didn't understand, and they actually have ended up shaping us as adults. Some of those things are really good things. Some of them are not, but they, we end up sort of living and believing them for a really long time. In my first year here, I shared this story about how I never take my shirt off in public. It's because when I was about six years old, we had a slip and slide, all the boys were over, and I had a pretty prominent Audi. And I got mocked for it in a huge way as a six-year-old. And it marks me to this day. It just does. I, I don't like it. I'm embarrassed by that. I wish that wasn't true, but it is. And probably, as an adult, those of you especially who are adults in the room, you probably have some version of that. Some version of something that someone said something to you, and even now, sometimes, decades later, you, you sit on your bed at night and you remember it and you burn. You feel it. Is that right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of them are really difficult. Some of them are just kind of silly. Everything from, you know, I have a poor sense of direction, which in my case is only kind of true. Um, some of us in this room are, have been abuse victims when we were growing up, and it's, it's colored our entire life. Some of us assume that there must be something wrong with us because we have not worked the way that we wanted to. We didn't have the career that we thought that we would have. And it burns. It might also be a small thing. I have a pinky toe that curls all the way around under. People have always noticed. What's interesting, I think, today as we talk about baptism briefly, is, is what these stories do to us. How they end up sort of consuming us. How we live because of these stories. How many of you are familiar with this book? Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Raise your hand if you've, if you've read it or are sort of aware of it at least. Okay, it has been the number one Amazon bestseller for about the last 20 weeks. And um, 
It is like all the rage, I think especially I've read in a couple different places, that uh, men and women, especially men in their 20s and 30s, find something really helpful and great about this book. I don't know exactly how to describe the genre of it, so I I made one up. Here it is. It is a a religio-genetic Jungian archetypal hero's journey (laughs) kind of a book. And in the first rule, he, he talks about, as a way to sort of understand human behavior, he, he talks actually about the territorial nature of lobsters. And what he says about lobsters is they mark out their place, they find their rest and where their food is, but then some other lobster will come in and they sort of they have this dance of this fight that can sometimes be low-grade and can sometimes get quite violent. You lose eye things and whatever. And what he goes on to say is, is lobsters who win those fights, they end up actually having this huge sort of burst in their own bodies, their own sort of serotonin levels, and low octopamine. I think I'm saying that right. And octopamine is this thing that actually kind of slows you down and increases your fight or, or flight um, sort of instinct. If you win, you have more serotonin less fight or flight. If, if you lose, actually, and you're, as a lobster, what actually ends up happening is you, you start like, having more and more of this uh, octopamine, this thing that kind of slows you down and uh, increases your willingness to just flee. And what happens over time to lobsters is they actually start to, to, to s- s- slouch. Whatever a lobster slouch looks like, this is what they start to do. They, they get smaller. However, a lobster might get big around others, the losers don't. They get smaller, and they get smaller. What's interesting is we do that too. Have you met a man or woman who's been so struck by the hardship of life that their shoulders are just always hunched? I'm not talking about what sometimes what happens just as we sort of age, but just, just they've been beaten down by life. Their, li- their smile or their face is like always sort of in this vicious of a constant frown. How can we escape this? In the book, his first rule is simply this. This is what you do. You stand up straight, shoulders back. Stand up straight, shoulders back. And what he says is as human beings who aren't quite as driven just by um, our instincts the way lobsters are, we can actually begin to tell ourselves our own story. See, we actually, we, we do sort of see those kinds of body cues. We do notice those kinds of body cues. He says the first person that needs to be, tell you a different story is yourself. So stand up straight, shoulders back. Tell your body that you deserve serotonin, not octopamine. Remember, this is what I said, religio-genetic, Jungian, archetypal, hero's journey kind of a book. I don't know exactly what I think about all of that, but I I can tell you, to to a certain extent, that advice is good advice, and, and it's also not new advice. It turns out that, in a certain way, it's really biblical advice. It's actually advice that's really appropriate on a day when we celebrate baptisms. 
over and over and over again throughout Paul's letters to these tiny little fledgling new churches. He says, I want you to know what is now, because of Jesus, what is now most true about yourselves. I want you to embrace a different story. I want you to stand up straight, shoulders back, because of the work of Jesus Christ. The most important thing about you is shifted because of the work of Jesus. What we celebrated in this young child's life just now, what we celebrated, I want that story to take hold in him now and all the way to and through eternity. In the book of Romans, Paul says it this way. I've, I've tried to find a way to sort of book in some of the most important stuff. You can read all of chapter 6 in Romans chapter 6. You'll be blown away by how often this theme comes up. He says, here's the new story about you. We were therefore buried with him through baptism, with Jesus through baptism, into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Because of the work of Christ, which we celebrate in baptism, you have a new life. There's a, a new story to live, shoulders back. For if I have been united with him in a death like his, he died for me. We will also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I may now live like him. And because he was talking to Romans who were enslaved, he then changed the metaphor to this, going starting with chapter verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves, you have sort of a new ownership under Christ. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin, the old story is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, I wonder how many are here in this room that right now are still telling themselves the stories that no longer are true about them. How many of us are allowing ourselves to, to wallow and sort of sink down into patterns and habits of sin, habits of self-understanding that are broken and are no longer true about who you are because of the work of Jesus Christ? You are not a dead sinner, but you are a living saint. Not because of you, but because of the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul is so eager for all of us to, to change the mantle of how we see ourselves and our world and our very future because of the work of Christ, which we celebrate at baptism. That story about my Audi belly button doesn't matter. My stories of judgment um, against my fraternity brothers as I live there, no longer my shame. What are yours? What are the things you are still living with shame when, when Christ has set you on a new journey and a new path and a new story? Shoulders back. Stand up straight. You have been made alive in Christ. And it's not because of your serotonin levels. 
As we end here, John Stott has this um, really wonderful quote trying to get at like this first rule, trust the story of your baptism. John Stott writes it this way, in practice, we should constantly be reminding ourselves who we are. We need to learn to talk to ourselves and ask ourselves questions. Don't you know? Don't you know the meaning of your conversion and baptism? Don't you know that you have been united to Christ both in His death and in His resurrection? Don't you know these things? Don't you know who you are? We must go on pressing one another, pressing ourselves with these questions until we're able to reply to ourselves, yes, I do know who I am. I am a new person in Christ. And by the grace of God, I shall live accordingly. Stand up straight shoulders back. Trust the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We spend a few moments praying, actually, and we'll end together by uh, praying the Lord's Prayer. So if you don't know the Lord's Prayer, it'll be up on the screens for you to follow along. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We want to begin by praising you for the glories of this day. The things that are obvious to each and every single one of us. The intricate weaving of creation. The beauty of blue skies. Even the sound of work and of lawnmowers just outside the sanctuary. And Lord, in light of all that goodness, we also want to confess to you personally that the story of who we are in Christ is not always the story we tell ourselves. And so in this brief moment of silence, Lord, we, these other things that dominate our self-understanding, these things that are difficult about us that we still hold way, way down deep in our hearts, Would you help us to tear them away from ourselves and give them to you? Lord, would you help us to live in the joy and the truth that you have called us your child? That in the scriptures you say we are no longer a slave to sin, but we are an heir of Christ. That we no longer have to fear death, but that we now can grasp all of what life means because of the work of Jesus. Lord, we also know that there are vast stretches of the globe who need this good news. Places of violence, places of rage, places of poverty. 
We pray, Lord, that you would lead us now and in the years to come, not because of us, but because of what you have done in us, that you would prompt us to go out into the world with this good news, first with the grace and mercy of the Word of Christ, and secondly, with the grace and mercy of the food of Christ, offering tangible help here and far away. Lord, we also know that there are people in our families and in this community who are deeply broken, whose bodies are broken, who are fighting off cancer, who um, face a surgery or just had a surgery, who find themselves locked in a room of depression. Lord, would you whisper the truth to them that you love them too? that you are not surprised at what they are going through. But even as their bodies break down, they may know the joy of Christ and the hope He gives to us in His Son. Lord, You taught us what to pray, and so we bind up all the things we've been saying in that prayer, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.